Uh, this is a, I'm, I'm using a lot of the book by Mark Batterson, but I, I was thinking about if and how pivotable, pivotal that word is. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, I, I would guess that you've probably said if already today, probably 10 or 15 times. It's one of those words in the English language that we use quite often because things tilt on that word. You don't often think about it because it just flies off the tongue. You, don't, you, just, you just say it. But look at this picture for a minute. These, these three men have led the largest Pentecostal denomination in the world for the last 10 years, accounting for millions and millions of Christians in thousands and thousands of churches all over the world. What, what if they chose not to do that? Let me make it real serious. What if, what if one of them had a moral failure? Can you imagine what that would have done to the assemblies of God? What if um, Doug Clay embezzled as the treasurer? Oh, my goodness. What if, what if, now George Wood, his parents were uh, missionaries in China. He grew up in China. And he's, he was telling some of the stories about, about how close it was to, to him not even being alive with, with some of the danger that, you know, existed. Because he is about 75. So if you just do the math, and he was five, 70 years ago in China looked a lot different than today. What if things change on that? One of the other people elected is, is this lady. She is, was elected as the under 40 presbyter for the nation. So she represents all ministers under 40. Her and her husband pastor a church in Texas. And she had a really fascinating story. Her name is Melissa Alfaro. Had a lot of ifs in it. Her dad came, he was an immigrant, and married her mom. Now her mom grew up here in the United States. And then because her family was so large, she had to drop out of school at, in the eighth grade. And so she was talking about how one thing that was amazing to her is she she's the first one in her family to graduate from high school think about the ifs involved in that i mean if if her dad never even came to the states she wouldn't even exist for one thing right but but think about what it takes to even graduate from high school and someone like her who that's been her story where she was the first and then she went on to to southwestern assembly god in waxahachie and got her, her her bachelor's degree then her master's and then now her doctorate and she leads the girls' ministry, like impact what we have here for all of South Texas. I mean, if none of that happened, think about the many, many hundreds and thousands of lives that would be different because she wasn't there. And what does it take to go through school? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, a lot of times, we're going back to school. A lot of kids have already started and all that. And, and I know I heard some groans. But as you start back to school, um, think about what goes into that. I mean, for you to graduate, because there's so many things that, that, that hinge on, on other things that you probably don't think about. I mean, think about all the books that you used and, and who wrote those and how they were published and who paid for them and who got them to your school. And what if those things didn't happen? It would affect your future. I mean, you could simply go down to even something as simple and goofy as a pencil. I mean, what if? All those things didn't take place that would have to be for that to happen. There's so many small ifs that make our lives possible, and, and, and it's, it's weird. Let me, let me make it personal. What if you and your husband never met, and you wouldn't have the little ifs that run around your house? Have you ever thought about that? I was home. I, I got to visit my mom and my sister and her husband and my, one of my uh, nephews and his wife and, and kids and 
and we, I don't know how this came up, but we were talking, and my, my brother-in-law was in the Navy, and that's how he met my sister, and he was talking about how he almost didn't get stationed in San Diego, and that it, it was just kind of one of those things that just kind of the time turned, and he was there, met my sister, and if that hadn't happened, and my nephew was standing there, sitting there, and he's like, I wouldn't be here. It's, it's like it hit him, like, right then. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. You know, and his, and his dad's like, well, we would have had, I would have had kids probably. He goes, but it wouldn't be me. It wouldn't be me. And it's like it was the first time he'd ever thought that through and realized the whole thing, like, I wouldn't be here. And they wouldn't be here, and he points at his kids. If is a huge thing. If is everything. I mean, everything rises and falls on this. Every achievement from the Nobel Prize to an Academy Award or, or I mean, every dream, a man walking on the moon started with an if. What, if. what if we could go to the moon? What would it be like? And think about all the ifs that had to go into that. Everybody's education that piled together, that, that did all the calculations and then all the engineers and right on down to the person sweeping and cleaning up if they didn't show up or if they made a small miscalculation. If is huge. The Bible's full of ifs, of course. 1,784 exactly. In the, well, in one verse. Those, you know what those are called? You know what if is? Any English teachers? Gram- grandma, grammatical people? Really? Nobody? It's a conditional conjunction. Conditional conjunction. Conjunction. Anybody else have that song going through your mind? If you don't... You will, because I just, I couldn't stand to not have this song. So, um, yeah, it's, oh, I didn't put the music on. We'll have to sing it. Let's sing it. Conjunction, junction, what's, so you know, right? Okay. All right, that's enough, that's enough. Here's the thing about if. If is a conditional conjunction, and most of the time when it's in the Bible, here's how it works. It works like this. If you do a certain thing, then God's promises will come to you. It's conditional. If you do this, God will do this. And a lot of times we look at that and we just kind of brush by it and we think, well, God's got to do all these things and that's true, he does things. But a lot of it is is contingent, conditional on the if. And sometimes we miss it because we just, we rush right by it and we forget how important it is for us to do our part. And it's huge. And so many things in your life, so many decisions have, have hinged on an if. I've got one here for you. Anybody know who this is? Don't, don't shout it out if you do, but I'm, I'm sure some of you do. Someone in the room knows. It's not re- he's not really a, a, a household name, Ronald, uh, Gerald, Wayne. He probably doesn't go by Gerald. It's probably just Ronald Wayne, but, but that's his full name. You, you may not know him. He was born in 1934. He's an American retired electronics industry co-worker. But he had a big if in his life. He joined this young startup computer company, and then he had a decision to make. And he decided, if I stay in, I might lose this investment I've put into this company. And so what he decided is, I think what I'm going to choose to do is pull my money out, because he didn't believe that his investment was going to pay off. So what happened is, he, turned, he went to his partners. He had 10% of the company at the time. He turned to his partners, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, and he asked that he have his money pulled out. So... He was paid um, $800 at the time, and then later he accepted a $1,500 forfeit to any claims against Apple, which today would be equivalent to about $10,000. 
as of March 2017, if, can you say it with me? If, if Wayne had kept his 10% stake in Apple, this is 2017, it would have been worth over $75.5 billion. That just, oh man. Do you know there's millions of success stories like that too? There's many choices people make and they say, what if, what if this could possibly work? What if, what if, if I do this, what, 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 what would happen? Here's one. And I know you maybe some of you have been to this exact McDonald's. I'm not sure. I, I had never actually had McDonald's. So we come back to the United States and, and I remember the first time we went and, and all those little tiny burgers. Anybody remember when they were really little and they were like 15 cents a piece? Remember that? Tiny, tiny little burgers. And uh, this is an interesting story. It's another if. It's a huge if. Ray Kroc had actually, after World War II, he found employment as a milkshake, milkshake mixer salesman for an, a food equipment manufacturer called Prince Castle. But after a while, he realized the sales were dropping a lot because there was this new lower-priced company called Hamilton Beach that was beating him out in all the restaurants he went to. But he was so impressed by Richard and Maurice McDonald, who had purchased eight of his mixers for the San Bernardino, California location. He visited them in 1955, and he made them an offer. Because what happened is, he, he had been in about a thousand kitchens at that point. And he saw something different about them. Here's what he said. Their restaurant was clean, modern, mechanized, and the staff was professional and well-groomed. Now, I, I wasn't alive in 55, but what he said was, at the time, hamburger joints were more of a hangout for people causing trouble. It wasn't a family thing. So he said, what if? What if? Now, here's what's weird about that, because most of us can't imagine what it was like before. So most of us can't even imagine a world without McDonald's, can we? Or, or all the spinoffs, Jack in the Box and Burger King and every other store that has copied their success. But he said, when, when it hadn't even happened yet, he said, what if, what if we could take that manufacturing model and duplicate it, not only in other stores, but then franchise it and sell it to people and make them do exactly this? And what if we could standardize the burger that they were producing so that if you went to it in San Bernardino or Illinois or Chicago or I've eaten at one in Moscow and London and any other country, what if it was the same? <laughs> it's amazing. If, isn't it? What if? It all started on an if. By the way, it says right there, 400 million sold. They were actually counting the burgers before Kroc bought it. Okay, just so you know. By the time of, well, here's what happened. He, he bought it from them outright. Because at first they didn't sell the whole thing to him. But bought it outright in 1961 for $2.7 million. By the time of Croc's death, the chain had 7,500 outlets in the United States and 31 other countries and territories. Total system-wide sales of its restaurants were more than $8 billion in 1983. His personal fortune amounted to some $600 million. And, and by the way, they stopped counting burgers in April of 94 at $99 billion. 99, that's why if, you, if they have the sign up, it says over $99 billion. That's why they just stopped counting because it, it didn't matter anymore. If. It was all on an if. If. What, what are some of your ifs? Have you thought about that? If, if you had done this and not that. Or if, 
if you had done this, or, or maybe you're thinking about an if. If I do this, what will happen? It's huge, isn't it? Sometimes those ifs keep us up at night. And I mean, what if, <laughs> what was your greatest risk as an if? Maybe talking to your wife before she was your girlfriend, and that was a big risk, it was an if. Maybe going out for a team, a sports team, maybe in high school or something. Maybe your greatest regret, not talking to that girl or not going out for the team or not studying or whatever. A lot of times we're known for what we did, not for what we didn't do. See, here's what's weird about those ifs. A lot of times the if part that we focus on the most is the if that we did. And that's natural. It's normal. Because those are the things that are in front of our faces all the time. And we're in front of that. But here's an interesting, it's an interesting fact. The thing is, the things that will haunt us the most are the ifs we didn't do. So when we look back and we say, what if I had? Or what if I had trusted? Or what if I did this? Those ifs are even bigger. And those ifs are a type of regret that is hard to even get around. Wouldn't it be sad if you were known for one of those? <laughs> look at this. This verse is really comical. and It's in Jeremiah 46, 17. It says, there they will say... Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is a loudmouth who missed his opportunity. Kind of a random verse, like what in the world? So historians have told us this Pharaoh, his name was uh, Hophra. He was the fourth king of the 26th dynasty of Egypt. And the way Egypt ran their government, kind of like, the, kind of like Islam tries to do, they combined their political and religious ruler. So the power invested in this, any Pharaoh is enormous because you control everything. You control everything in the, in the country. And, and, and this was one of the most advanced civilizations on earth at the time. So much potential, so much power. And we don't even know what if he missed. But whatever it was he missed, he is known as someone who missed his opportunity. I don't know about you, but I look at that and I think, I don't want that to be me. I don't want it to be me. I don't want to be like that. He missed his what if. He missed his what if. I don't want anybody to look and think of my life afterward as that, that he missed the what if, that he, he had this potential, he could have done these things, but he did not. It all comes down to regret sometimes. Uh, it's, it's, it's weird. It's, as you, when you're younger, you think about the things you did, but then as you get older, you start to think about the things you missed. I know this is, I'm, I'm trying to move you along here in a thought process because a lot of times we even do that with our sin. Have you noticed that? We, we focus, and it's, it's appropriate, we focus on the sins we've done, which is appropriate. The scripture talks about that. But, but God wants us also to look at the sins of things we should have done and didn't do. I know that's laying a lot on you. James 4, 17 says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. Sometimes we look at righteousness simply as just not doing anything wrong. You know what that is? That's playing it safe. Do you, do you know what that is? That's saying, how close to the line can I get? And you're focused on what I didn't do, but then you're not focused on going further and actually doing more. It's kind of like this. I know, I know uh, growing up in San Diego, you know, was a fan of the San Diego Chargers, which don't exist anymore, by the way. It's just a heartbreak. But um, we had a coach that you guys got. Remember Marty Schottenheimer? Marty Ball? We hated him. Did you guys? You know why? I, I, I don't mean the whole city. I just mean me you know why here's why he always played that prevent defense do you, do you know what i'm talking about like you get a lead and then you stop trying to win 
you just try not to lose. I, I hate that. I want to win. And I want you to play to win from beginning to end. Because if all you're doing is trying not to lose, then you're just moving backward, backward, backward. And, and you're thinking about what not to do rather than what to do. And we serve a God that is full of possibilities. And we serve a God who wants more for you than you can possibly imagine. We serve a God who is full of this, this if that you can't even, you can't bridle it, you can't control it. You can't even, you can't even see the end of it. <laughs> Let me maybe word it this way. I put it up here because it's a lot of words. But when we don't do what we know we should do, we're actually robbing ourselves and God of the precious potential he put inside of us. Some of you may be sitting here today and you're like, Pastor Dennis, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just living my life doing my thing. Okay, but you can do more. God has things for you to do that you may have not even imagined yet. And I'm not necessarily talking about walking on the moon and all that. What I'm talking about is God has different things for each one of us, and he created you with amazing gifts and things inside of you that he wants to develop and use for his kingdom. There are people you know that nobody else knows that you could reach for him, and only you could reach for him. There are things God wants you to do, and he wants you to focus beyond just this, this right in front of you and what you aren't doing wrong instead of thinking what you could do. He has possibilities beyond Beyond what you even thought of. That potential, I think, that he's put inside of us is one of the most amazing gifts that he's given us. And so much of history hinges on critical ifs. So much of your life hinges on critical ifs. And we don't think about it. You go through every day and you're making decisions. What if this or what if this? And most of them on the surface aren't that complex and don't have all these eternal ramifications. But then sometimes they do. Your choice of a mate, your choice of a school, your choice to do certain things or not do certain things, your job, what you do, makes a big difference. It's kind of the difference between living out of imagination and dreams or just looking back and seeing what ifs. That's kind of wordy. Let's, let's make it a little more, a little more easy to remember. Would, would you consider trading your if-only regrets for God's what-if possibility? Would you? Do, do you believe he's a God that has possibilities for you beyond your regrets? I do. I do. Because I know he's a God like that. That's what he does. Romans is one of the most amazing books in the Bible. It's people, theologians look at it as, as Paul, the Apostle Paul, it, he, he put the gospel in the most understandable terms. And some of the most familiar scriptures we know come from this book. Think about some of these. I'm going to flash through them real quick. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. I am convinced that neither nothing, that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> There's more. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who are love God and are called according to his purpose for them. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Romans is an amazing book, but I think the whole book hinges on this one if verse. Look at this. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If, can you say it with me? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Can you say it with me again like you mean it? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? I, I want you to have that same realization that my nephew had. I wouldn't be here. 
we all kind of laughed at him because it's like the first time he'd ever thought that. But if you haven't thought of this before, or maybe not thought of it in its fullness, or maybe not even believed it, that the God of the universe is for you. He is for you. And if he's for you, who could ever be against you? Whoever could, could do anything. It's the most crucial understanding in all of Christianity. All of Christianity hinges on this, that God is for you. He is for you. It's why God made us. It's what you're here for. You know, so many people, they reject God, but they don't reject this, God. What they reject is what they think God is like, which he isn't really like. Or what other people have said he's like, which isn't true. They think, they, they see the evil in the world and they blame it on him and reject him. They, they, they see evil in those who claim to speak for him and reject him. They, they reject descriptions of him that aren't accurate. All they're really doing is they're rejecting religion. You know, I have to be honest, I cringe when somebody describes Christianity as a religion. I know that's accurate in a lot of ways, but, but I cringe because they don't get it. If that's all they think it is, they, they're missing the whole point. The fact is that Christianity spells out the truth that God came to man because he's for us. Because he wanted a relationship with us, he comes to man. He creates man for a relationship. We as human beings, we mess it up. And because we mess it up, we, we've done things that need to be forgiven, and only he can forgive. So then he provides the way of forgiveness, which we celebrated with communion today. And then he builds the relationship back. It's as if we burn the bridge between us, and then he rebuilds it with Jesus. That's what he does. <laughs> but if you doubt God's goodness, then you're not going to understand that. That's the lie he told Eve in the garden, that, that God wasn't good, and that you, could, you had to doubt God's goodness. But the truth is, if you really believe it, if, there's that word, if you doubt God's goodness, then you won't believe his promises to you. If you doubt God's goodness, then you won't believe he's really for you. <laughs> if is huge, but God is for us. He is for us in every way. So powerful. It, it, everything falls on that if. If he really is for us, then that means the unlimited potential and the possibilities of the greatest person in the universe is on your side. It's almost like it's not fair, really. I mean, really, if you think about it, if God's on your team, then who do you fight against? Who's fighting against you? Have you ever noticed, have you ever seen momentum shift in a crowd? You ever seen that happen? Where all of a sudden somebody says the right thing or something happens and the whole momentum shifts? Have you ever seen that? You felt that happen? Years ago, I, this is, I remember the day, actually. It was November 21st, 1997. Um, what had happened is uh, Magic Johnson had come out that he had AIDS, and it, it, was, it rocked everybody's world. But one of the things that rocked in my world was, and I, I'm just, this is just the way it is. We had the Clippers when I was a young kid. I could have seen Dr. J play, and I missed it because we weren't in, my dad wasn't into that, right? So then when, when that happened with, with Magic Johnson, I thought, you know what? We need to see these great players. You know who was the greatest player of all time at that time? Seriously? And I thought, I'd never seen him play yet. So in 1997, I went and saw him play. And ironically, we went and saw him play the Lakers, because that's how it worked back then. Or not the Lakers, the Clippers. Because uh, you couldn't get into a Laker game, but the Clippers played there in L.A., and you could always get in tickets for them. So we go to the game. Some friends of mine, I remember we were sitting way up high, because, you know, we didn't have good seats or nothing, but we're watching this game happen, and it was just like a ho-hum game. I'm like, what's going on? What's happened? And, and those of you who remember those days, Pippen was awesome, but, but he was out. He'd been hurt for like two months. And then Steve Kerr, their sharpshoot three-pointer guy, he was out. And it was just dull. And then something happened. The third quarter starts, 
And I, I could see it like it was yesterday, because we're sitting up here, the, the court is way down there, and I remember watching, and you see uh, Michael Jordan got a fast break, and he leads everybody down, and he slams. And then what happens is the, the throw-in pass, he intercepts the pass and slams again. Then they get the inbound, it comes down, he steals just on the other side of the half court, goes down and slams. The whole place came apart. The whole room is on their feet. Everybody's just so sad for the Clippers. Everybody in there is cheering for the Bulls. And it never stopped. The momentum completely changed in one moment. Why? Because at the moment, the greatest basketball player in the world took over, and they didn't have a chance. Now, that is a silly example of something that's human and long time ago. But the fact is, if God is for us, who can be against us? You have something greater on your side than anything else in the universe. You have a power that changes and creates everything on your side, on your side. Dave Holzel was, we were talking about the eclipse, go figure, today. He was talking about the fact that, that tomorrow, clouds or not, everybody in America and every news show and everybody's going to be talking about this eclipse this phenomenal thing that has happened, you know, it's like one of the few times it's going to go right across the middle of the United States, and anybody in the United States could get there and see it total eclipse. You know, of course, you could travel around the world and see them, but this is it. And they're going to be talking about what? God's creation, but they're probably not going to talk about God one time. The one who created all that and aligned the planets and made it so that the, the sun is up here and the moon blocks it and the earth is in a shadow. And they're not going to talk about the one who is for us. What I'm going to do tomorrow, where I can see it or not, is I'm going to think about the fact that the God who made that knows who I am, cares about me, and leads me every day. He knows what I'm walking through, and he wants to walk through it with me. And he, he cares about me, and he knows my name. That's what I'm going to be thinking about, because God is for us. He's not against us. Your sin is paid for. He's not mad at you. He actually, one of my friends says this all the time, he says, he's not mad at you, he's mad about you. He's already dealt with your sin, and he's got a future for you that's better than you can even imagine. I, I like this, too. He even likes you. He likes you. That's hard for me to get around sometimes because I can accept that he loves me because he loves everybody. Likes me, though? I mean, he likes me. He likes you. He cares about you. He wants to spend time with you now, not just now, for all eternity. How would your life be if... You really believe this. It's a big if. I'm, I'm serious. How would your life be different if you believe that? Think you'd sleep better? Do you think you would, you would have a better attitude through the day? I mean, if you really believe that, don't you think you would even treat people differently? I mean, if that was really on your mind at every moment... That there's a God of the universe and he cares about me and knows me. That it would be totally, totally different. Totally different. I saw this sign in a store the other day. And you've probably seen a version of it where it said. And I think there's songs like this too. But sing, sing as if no one's listening. Have you heard that? Love like you've never been hurt before. And then dance like no one's watching. If you believe this, you would do that every day with everything you do. You would live with abandon because you know that God is for you and who could ever be against you? Your whole life would be, be like that. Here's what you need to do. This is what I want to leave you with today. Forgiveness. If you believe that God is for you, then you know you're forgiven. 
you know that he forgives you, that he loves you, and all you need to do is accept that forgiveness for yourself, and then you walk without any guilt, and you walk in peace. That you are literally in, have peace between you and the king of the universe. If I could have the worship team join me. But it doesn't end there. It begins there. But, but the thing about forgiveness, and even with our own sin, is difficult because our memories are really fascinating and torturous things, aren't they? Our, our memories are so selective. It's funny, it's almost, I think about parents when they're telling the kids, I, I told you to take out the trash, and they're like, oh, I forgot. H- how do you forget that? You walk right by it? Every, you're walking on it now. It's overflowed. <laughs> Husbands and wives, I told you about that. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Remember, you're sitting right there, and I said this, and you said, okay. Our memories are weird. Psychologists say that the memories that usually we remember most are attached to stronger emotions, stronger the emotion of the event. And a lot of times it has to do with our sin. And it's hard for us to forgive ourselves or accept God's forgiveness because of that. But if God is for you, you even need to accept that forgiveness from him. And going back to this Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You're forgiven. You're free. But it doesn't end there because we're also supposed to forgive others. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. So if God's forgiven you, if, if God's forgiven you, then you forgive others. There's no limitation with that. It can be tough, but I want you to live with abandon today. In this moment and going forward. And it doesn't end there because we serve a God who has more for you than you could possibly ever imagine, which we'll talk about in the succeeding weeks. Here's what I'd like to do for a minute, though. If you just shut your eyes, and I I ask you to do this just for a sense of privacy in a room full of people, but I'm wondering, is it possible that someone in here today, maybe you don't feel or sense God's forgiveness because for whatever reason, maybe you've never asked him for forgiveness or maybe... Maybe there's something going on that you just feel like it's been too big and you haven't accepted that. But today you're thinking, if that's true, if God's really for me, then he would forgive me. And if you would raise your hand, I would just lead us in a prayer for you, with you, for God to forgive. Anybody like that at all, that you felt like maybe you weren't really forgiven? I do see the hand. You can put that down. Anybody else? Anybody else at all? I see the hand right near the back. Anybody else? All right, let's do this together. Would you, would you all with your eyes still closed and heads bowed, would you just join me in a prayer? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you in this prayer, and I just want you to repeat after me. And as we all pray this together, those, those of you who raised your hands, if you would pray it and especially mean it today. Let's just start off like this. Father God, you can repeat after me out loud. Father God, I'm really sorry. For the things I've done wrong. And I need your forgiveness. I believe that you are for me. That your son died for me. And I accept that forgiveness. And I pray now that you would give me that sense of forgiveness that I so desperately need. In Jesus' name. Let me, let me just, one more thing, if you just keep your eyes closed for another second. I know we're as human beings, we struggle with this, so 
there may be somebody, as we talked about forgiving others, I mean, we talked about it briefly, but there's a big if there. If God's forgiven you, you need to forgive. And there's people who have done things that don't deserve forgiveness. I understand that. And there's things that you're probably still living with that are a consequence or result of something that's happened. So let's do this. Let me just ask a simple question. And again, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand just so you, just a physical act of responding to prayer. But if, if you're struggling with forgiveness towards someone or something in some area, and you would just like us to pray with you, would you raise your hand? We can just pray together. I do see those hands. Let me pray with us. God, we want to forgive, and we need help forgiving. Just like, just like the one in Scripture who said, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, we want to forgive, but we struggle sometimes with that. And I pray that you would help us with that, that you would heal those hurt places in our hearts, that you would heal those hurt places in our memories. God, that you would, you would heal us in a way that we would respond with that forgiveness, I pray, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Would you stand with me? I'm going to close service this way today. I'm just going to pray for us and bless you as you head out. If you're part of the Connect Lunch or just want to join us today, that would be great. It's As you leave the building, it's just to your left in that crown room. And um, God bless you today. Father, I bless these people today knowing that you are for us, that you are for us in every way. God, I'm so grateful that you are. I'm so grateful that you know us, that you care about us, that you like us, and that you're for us. God, I pray that you would help us then as we walk into this world, that we would then treat people that way with complete abandon to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you today. Have a wonderful day, Christ. God bless you.